0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Man Bites Pod. Uh, I am the commander here with my co-defendants, the uh cinema baron and the illustrious Reverend Goddamn. How are you doing, gentlemen?
1: I'm doing Then,
2: up to you, it, Reverend, down. please.
1: I'm doing wonderful, man, you know, uh, the Halloween season is upon us, we just talked about a different Carpenter film, we're going to talk about this Carpenter film, my wife is in another room watching a Carpenter film right now, I am surrounded by the season, and by this wonderful director that has brought us so many fucking wonderful films.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Reverend, I'm going to call it now, I don't know about you, uh, use. Uh, but I'm going to dedicate this Halloween, this October, the spooky season to John Carpenter. Fuck it, he deserves it. Um, I, let's let's man by man by its pod dedicates this October. How's that to John Carpenter? I'm in, with in that. Spirit. Yeah, in spirit. Um, I'm going to make my way through his filmography as well. I've been catching up: um, "Escape from New York" and "In the Mouth of Madness." I've watched uh, recently, um, and "They Live." Of course, I've watched recently for this uh, episode. Legendary film on many levels, and I'm looking forward to getting into it,
0: Commander. 100, yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Actor rewatching "They Live," and then and and of course "Big Trouble with Little China" for our last episode. I realized I just want to go back to square one and watch Mm. all of them. Um, Specifically, specifically, I want to go back and watch The Thing, The Fog, and uh, Christine. Um, I absolutely love those, but there's actually another one. There's another one that uh, I started thinking about once I was in the middle of They Live Today is ghosts of mars i want to go back and watch that one that one fucking rules man okay um okay. still bummed i wasn't able to i wasn't able to catch that one when it was in the theater for whatever reason things fell through and i, I didn't get to see it but i saw it as soon as it came out on vhs i fucking grabbed it phenomenally
2: fantastic. fantastic yeah i want to see um because I, I have seen it, but it's been, it's been many years. It did disturb me a little bit as um, as a teenager, adolescent, whatever it was. Uh, Prince of Darkness as well. Yeah. to round off the Apocalypse Trilogy, as we mentioned last episode, being the thing in the Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness, yeah. Right,
0: um, right. Mouth, in the Mouth of Madness is incredible. That was, correct me if I'm wrong, that's H.P. Lovecraft, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. It is. It's yeah. very much influenced by by um, In the Mouth of Madness. I think it's called At the Mouth of Madness or whatever the actual Lovecraft story is. It's just a slight rewording of the title. I um, I don't think I have it 100% correct, but it's just a slight rewording of an actual Lovecraft title. And it's about, you know the fear of the unknown and being driven insane from these monsters from the unknown well
0: he's he's uh, got yeah. that in tons of he's got tons of nods to Lovecraft throughout his career the fog has a ton sure, um, sure. and they, yeah. they live they live does as well which we'll get into okay, um yeah so um, um, yeah go ahead
2: so I just if I may just one, just just quickly favorite carpet to film mine's the thing
0: oh mine's mine's they live a hundred percent. A
1: hundred and fifty percent. Ripper. Oh, I'm going they live. Yeah, for sure. Man. Oh, it's seriously? just just okay. a, yeah, they live yeah. is probably my favorite carpenter film. Yeah. It, it's just uh it, it's such a punk rock film, you know. It, it's kind of like an American answer to fucking Clockwork Orange is a punk rock movie.
0: Okay. You know, Absolutely like
1: is the fucking nihilism of it. It's it's LA fucking black. Bu- flag versus fucking english huh. punk rock you know interesting all right yeah this, this, sense, this is this is a this the scene for me go for it sorry
0: completely uh, that is the best way i've ever heard that put is this is this is america's answer to clockwork orange very well said um and i mean w- punk rock movie or not but that does come into it so um anyhow let's let's get into this 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 movie was the second film uh he he did after uh big trouble in little china big trouble in little china came out in 1986 uh fall mid, uh, late summer early fall 1986 and um they live came out in 88 in between he did prince of darkness i think it was correct. yes which correct. was 87. 87 um essentially with big trouble in little china he got so much studio interference and producer and exec executive interference all the way up until the fucking thing was released that he was like that's it i'm not here for the money and i'm certainly not here for your fucking bullshit i'm out and he bounced he went to go make his own movies with with this company called alive films (laughs) he made um a prince of darkness I don't have a ton of specs on that because we didn't do that movie this time. But he did They Live and They Live. So by comparison, Big Trouble in Little China was at uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of a budget of $25 million. They Live was sh- just shy of $4 million, which is nothing. Even by wow. 80s standards, even by late 80s standards, $4 million bucks is absolutely nothing. Um, but... This was and this is another one that that he wrote, um, but it was based off of a short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by a fellow named Ray Nelson Um, that was later developed that in uh, congruence with the movie kind of there was an amalgamation of the two was actually turned into a graphic novel in the 90s, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, And so he he. this is where it comes from but if you look at the writing credits i'm trying to remember oh it's frank armitage is credited as the sole writer of this movie um that is a pseudonym it was john carpenter wrote this movie frank armitage is a nod to the dun uh the dunwich horde which is a lovecraft book um the character Mm -hmm. and that was called Mm -hmm. that Uh, additionally um so the main character in this does not have a name he it's the man with no name but they have to give him some gimmick and man with no name was already taken by clint eastwood years before in the trilogy so they called him nada but in eight o'clock in the morning the main character's name was george nada um nada is spanish for nothing uh, kind of an implication that he's uh, something of a, a blank chalkboard, as it were, um, kind of kind of a, a canvas waiting for paint. And so, the other fella that's in this is a guy named Keith David. Now, Keith David is one of those guys that everyone's like, "Oh, it's that guy from that thing." He's one of those dudes, but that motherfucker is. A genius i absolutely love keith david you know everybody goes oh i don't know do i want to have Clint eastwood or morgan freeman narrate the, the biopic of my life fuck you it's keith david i want keith david to narrate mine that guy is next level he's got dude he's done voiceover work for fucking west side connection among other things so <laughs> uh, this guy i'm trying to remember what he was in requiem for a dream i think he was in uh god damn it Uh, all of a sudden my mind is a blank i normally could rattle this shit off left and right um but this is an intense character actor with a velvety velvety gravel gravel velvety and gravelly all at the same time his voice he's amazing i absolutely love keith david um you guys have thoughts on Keith David, or is it just me? Am I the only supermarket for Keith David in the fucking room?
1: Oh, no. He's fucking rad as fuck, dude. Like, he's, he's in fucking Platoon, too, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's in fucking a bunch of different uh, TV shows from that 80s period, too. But anything you see him, he does have this. He's got a fucking soulful voice. It's fucking rad. I like that narration, man. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to f- say... All I'll say is, um, uh,
2: I can see where you're coming from, but I think I want Crispin Glover to narrate my life.
0: Fuck, man. That's pretty good. Oh, you know what? Speaking of that, he's in the thing.
2: Yeah. He is. And he is great in the thing. thing. Yeah. He is great in the thing. Yeah.
0: There is a yeah. specific movie I am trying to think of that he's in and it's making me a crazy person, but I'll just have to bring it up another time, I guess. Um, But Keith David fucking rules and uh, I want him to narrate my goddamn life. So anyway, um, he plays Frank, which is also, that is, that's homage to Frank Armitage from Dunwich Horror as well. Um, This fucking John Carpenter has no qualms about doing subtlety or just thinly veiled shit or just it's right there in your fucking face. He'll do however he fucking wants to and it always works always i've never seen a problem with how he um shows uh, the point he's driving at whether it's thinly veiled or on front street or or hidden in the background um it's always done well thoughts
1: yeah no no, there's not a bad thing he's done he he doesn't do anything bad
2: Yeah, I'm just connecting dots together with the Apocalypse Trilogy, how they're really a Lovecraft trilogy as well, with Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness as well, With certainly with oh, yeah. Frank Armitage into the mix, like this guy is quite the, uh, the Lovecraft uh, mark, more than I thought that he was, more than I realized, so that's really cool, thank you, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a uh, classic horror fan, but I also think, I still believe he's a huge mark for Clive Barker as well. Um, I don't think that it influences him the way Lovecraft does, mm. but mm. I know he's a big fan.
2: Um, so Interesting. Just so, a quick aside, have you ever seen that YouTube uh, round table discussion about horror that has, uh, who does it happen there? It has a bunch of people, but it has Clive Barker and Carpenter together discussing
0: horror. Um, I've definitely seen something in that. I'm not sure if we're talking about the same thing, but I think I might have, yeah.
2: It's not Ray Bradbury. It's the other guy who does uh, horror novels. Which sounds like that name is with him as well. Uh, the guy who directed Gene, Hellra- Gene, Gene. Roddenberry. No, no, that's Star Trek. Yeah. Um, no, it's not him. It's not him. Um, they're the guy who directed Hellraiser Two is there as well. Uh, okay. But yeah, if you can find it on YouTube, it's a great discussion, just with Carpenter and Barker together. Yeah. Great recommendation for sure.
0: Um, so. Additionally, another guy that's in this movie that I think this is more of a genre film fan, like people like us would recognize him. It's a guy named Cy Richardson. Um, He's got kind of a bit part. Cy Richardson is uh, he's the black revolutionary guy when they finally go into the revolutionary underground and they get to meeting and there's that biker out front with the fucking shotgun. And they go in and meet, and the dude handing him guns is Cy Richardson. That guy's in fucking everything. He was in, he's in Repo Man. He's in Colors. He's in Tape Heads. He's in, um, he's in uh, Mystery Train, the Jarmusch flick. He's in uh, Straight to Hell, uh, the Alex Cox movie with the Clash and the Pogues uh, starring in it. Um, Sid and Nancy, he's in fucking Sid and Nancy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Cy Richardson's no fucking slouch um he's one of those guys that's got a a really cool bit part in all the good underground shit um so let's see i'm trying to think i guess we could talk about some fun trivia here um one of the things that i enjoy about this and once again carpenter to me is one of the most punk rock directors ever um and this is one of the most punk rock movies ever made he so the when you first see the homeless encampment those are real homeless people and it's pretty obvious that they are it's either that or it's the best makeup on earth that is a real homeless encampment and they gave them money and fed them um yes that's right yeah so and that's that's a real spot um and up until at least a couple of years ago from the last uh when i was looking stuff up about this up until at least a couple of years ago, when this writing was done, that lot is still under undeveloped. There's still nothing there.
1: Yeah. No, nah, this that intro scene with the fucking homeless encampment—that's what LA looked like. LA still kind of looks like that, honestly, man. But totally. it, it's the, Carpenter really does make that setting a fucking another the third character in the film. It's its own setting since. Los Angeles in the environment that they are in is its own character in this film from the fucking, the rich part of where the lady lives in the Hills and he gets Mm -hmm. knocked down the Hill to the fact that they can go to a movie theater. That's right down the street from a bank and right down the street from the homeless encampment and right down the street from an alleyway. That's Mm -hmm. the way LA is built. And it makes it another character in this film That we get, I mean, the man with no name, not has got, you know, he doesn't even have a name. But we know we're in LA and we know that we're in this seedy fucking environment that is so
0: he creates it in
1: this way that it's iconic.
0: Yeah, and, and LA is one of those cities. Um, and I think just like with Big Trouble in Little China, with San Francisco, that's another one of those cities. If it's done right, New York is another one those cities, when they are involved in the real aspect of that city in some way, the city itself is a character. Um, yeah. Sometimes sometimes they're just like, well, these buildings look okay. That's why so many, a lot of movies that are just whatever, Spider-Man flying from fucking uh, yeah. rooftop yeah, to rooftop, that shit's thing. all done in Canada because it doesn't matter that it's, that it, New York's not really a character in that movie but yeah. LA is a fucking it character it should
1: be it wasn't the fucking comic book sorry man
0: you you're correct you are correct about that i mean the the newspaper editor is the closest it gets to there being new york being a, a character in that movie
2: yeah, it, com- it comes down to the director, especially if the director has a history with that city as well. Like if it's a competent director like Carpenter who spent time, a significant amount of time in L- LA, certainly around this time period, he can bring out the persona, the personality, the vibe, whatever however you want to put it, of the city. Like Martin Scorsese with New York, you know what I mean? Another right. director couldn't create a character out of New York as effectively as say Martin Scorsese could. A decent director... If they spend time in the place that they've grown up, be they even rural to cityscapes, yeah, they can personify the environment. I think it comes down to the director there.
0: Uh, agreed. A hundred it, it has to. It, even it, the script, probably 10 to 15%. The other 85%, 85 to 90% is all direction because you have to show the city as a character. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. Not yeah. just be like, she-
0: "Oh, I'm from LA, and I have a San Fernando Valley accent." Like that doesn't cut it.
2: Absolutely. And certainly when you're working with the Carpenter aspect ratio, anamorphic 2.35.1, which he used pretty much for 98% of his films as well. That's going back to his Howard Hawks love, old westerns, etc. His love of old Hollywood he brought to the 80s and beyond, 70s, 80s and beyond as well. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Um yeah. uh, one of my favorite things that that uh I found out a few years ago the last time I watched this movie and I was looking shit up about it. Um Roddy first of all Roddy Piper plays the main protagonist in this. To me he's the greatest wrestler of all time. He's always been my favorite. Um and will shall remain to be as such for the end of time. But Roddy is a notoriously nice guy. And uh he was Vince McMahon is a notoriously giant cunt, and um, yes. told him he couldn't, he shouldn't do this movie, and he couldn't do the movie, and tried to kind of on oh, really? a little. And Roddy quit to do this movie. He quit wrestling to do this movie. Oh, I didn't and then, know this? And then the movie opens at number one in the box office, which is the first time oh. Carpenter's ever done that, and they made back their budget in the first weekend plus some and roddy's now a big name this wasn't a bull total bullshit little independent movie this did really well for what it was and it put roddy even further on the map he was honestly the first professional wrestler to be an actor like on this level other than maybe doing a spot where you're just a goon he was on this level
2: yeah on this level yes
0: right he's starring in a movie and he set the precedent for all the rest of them to do it and now they all fucking do um and when Ronnie went back to wrestling the following year he basically took a year or so off went back and he was twice as popular if not more and vince mcmahon was like yeah i'll take you back because you are going to make me a shit ton of money Vince McMahon was fucking wrong. And he's a control freak. And that's why he left. He's like, you know what? Not only do I want to do this movie, you're a controlling prick and I'm done with you. I'm fucking out of here. And he came back with more clout and was able to kind of work his way through the thing a little more the way he wanted to do it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Roddy's really proud of this one. He said it a lot. Um, he wasn't so much of how it Comes to Frogtown. He specifically mentioned it. <laughs> He's not a big fan of that one. <laughs> <Really? laughs> wasn't wasn't for the social commentary he was going for? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. That was a different kind of dystopian. The, the, Hell comes to Frogtown was almost on the level of. It seemed like an exploitation flick. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It could have been if it was set in Australia. Not, yeah, it would have been perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and also. Check him out on "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." I forget the name of this wrestler, but he oh, plays second out. Down and out <laughs> down it's and the maniac. maniac. Thank you. Yeah, he I plays a down, down and out wrestler.
0: It's amazing. Best cameo in that whole show is is yeah. Roddy as the maniac, and he comes back a few times. It's he he's so goddamn funny, dude. <laughs> you got any kids, maniac? No. Not anymore. <laughs> what is he? Foraging for nuts? <laughs> Look at that. that's, that's just a bucket of chestnuts. <laughs> so good, dude. Um, so let's see. I'm trying to think. There was one other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, oh, that's right. This was originally written. This role was originally written for Kurt Russell um but sean carpenter was like this would be five films that i've done with kurt maybe i need some new blood and he wanted someone rugged and shit and it just all the it clicked i should get this fucking psychotic wrestler in here but this was intended for kurt russell at the beginning um kind of how um Scorsese had De Niro for years, and now he's got Leonardo DiCaprio. That's his new well, De Niro. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. so, um... I don't
1: think this would have worked with fucking Kurt Russell, man. Honestly, I don't think no Kurt way. Russell was too much of a face at the time. It would not have come off as good as it does. Because, I mean, if you weren't a wrestling fan... Fucking Piper was not a face you would have seen before. So he can pull off that working stiff. I just rolled into town, and now I got to get a job in a construction site. Right. So yeah,
0: Kurt couldn't have pulled that shit off. Good point. Yeah, it's not believable. He's just too. I mean, for lack of a better term, he's just too charming. Yeah, he's too pretty. Roddy's Roddy's lovable, but he's got, he's got, he's a softer dude on some level whereas Kurt's this jagged fucking just brimming with bravado type of cat, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? He's got those, he's got those fucking Zach Morris from, from fucking Saved by the Bell eyes, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if you guys, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add? I should get into this fucking movie here.
2: Um, Just quickly there uh, for, you know, current generation uh like uh, you've seen the obey shirts yeah
0: i was gonna get into that later but yeah okay
2: sorry sorry Um, it's all right go ahead that's from this film yeah, the, the, yeah, that face that you see and the whole idea of a bay, which the commander will get into, but that face, that figure, uh, there it's from this film. So this, this point being, this movie has influence to this day in a very ironic way, considering they're kind of, that's a mainstream fashion label. <laughs> we will point out the irony as we go. I, but I yeah. think,
0: I, I, I've i thought about that quite a bit. Maybe we should talk about that just a little bit. Because I, I feel like there's this... Um, to me, it seems a bit of a misconception that if you are not a, you know, if you, you might not be super pro-capitalist, um, and you might be a punk rock guy, which Shepard Ferry is those things. Um, he's a punk mm-hmm. rock dude all day, and he saw this movie and took the name as his graffiti name, and he's one of those guys that A, has the talent, and B, put in so much work doing it he wound up making a brand out of it. I have a few friends that have done that. Um, Let's see, Alloy and Pryor from the SKA crew down in LA. Those are close friends of mine. Those guys get paid for their artwork. Um, They're in the crew with that guy Saber. I don't know if you know Saber. Saber did, um, he's the guy that did that record-breaking bomb uh, on the LA riverbed that's like uh, half a mile long. And it's it's fucking it's incredible. Um, Those are the types, It's it's next level, groundbreaking graffiti talent. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, he took he took uh, his name and a lot of his imagery from this. He used uh, stuff directly from this movie in his artwork, and he uses it in on his shirts and stickers and stuff. But he started out with the Andre has a posse stickers. He was a sticker bomber. So he's a punk rock street kid for sure, but he built this himself and he never changed it to make money, which is where in lies the selling out point. Did someone come to him and say, Levi's came to him and said, Hey man, if you uh, do this with your logo and let us license it, we'll pay you X amount of money. He never did that. He makes money off of his own artwork and his own brands. So I think there's something to be said for that. At least there's whether you want to get into the capitalism of it all is one thing, but the art, artistic integrity is still there.
2: Oh yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have a great,
0: I have a great deal of respect for Shepard Ferry. I really, really Absolutely. enjoy that
2: guy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, not saying necessarily he sold out or anything, but it has gone global because down here it's all over the place. Those shirts. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, and and I mean, there is a tipping point where you look at it and like I have I've owned one obey shirt in my whole life. um It's it was a, an upside down cross made of roses, and it just said obey at the bottom. I love that shirt. um I still have it somewhere, but I feel like kind of a goof wearing obey stuff because there's so many. it's kind of like when you see people that don't skateboard wearing thrasher shirts you see people that don't surf wearing hurley shit And i'm just like you're just a goofy white guy with stupid big blocky white sunglasses you're a fucking douche but like also i'm happy that that company that shepherd fairy making money i that's yeah. that's how you make money yeah. is you got to sell the dickheads too so yeah 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 you know it is what it is yeah do you have anything to say about this fucking Shepherd Fairy situation here, Terry?
1: I mean, this film is so much more important than that guy's fucking tagging or his fucking clothing company. That's for I damn sure. You know? I agree but, with that. Like, And ever since, like, I mean, we live here in California. Yeah, I remember those fucking Andre the Giant stickers everywhere when I was a kid because yes. those were the places we would go and stuff. And yeah, he made money, whatever this film is fucking brilliant though dear like you know it 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 surpasses it so if someone was to see one of his shirts and then go watch this movie and get the fucking the fucking blessing that it is to fucking watch this in the vision that john carpenter fucking created here then so be it i don't give a flying fuck
0: because people need to see this film well we've talked about that it's kind of like you and I were always pretty good about this. We'd go to punk rock shows and there'd be some kid in Nirvana shirt that showed up. We never fucked with that kid. People would make, fun, all the kids with the stupid haircuts would make fun of that kid. But we'd be like, dude, you got to start somewhere, man. Like mm-hmm. the kid in the Green Day shirt had the balls mm-hmm. to show up here to our thing. So how about mm-hmm. you show him Os Rotten and you show him Spaz and you show this yeah, motherfucker what's what and yeah. bring him into the thing. And if he wants to do it, he does. And if he doesn't, been good he wasn't ever meant to be here in the first place and he could fuck off back to the suburbs but right. i agree i feel like it's the same thing if somebody sees an obey shirt and finally goes oh it came from that and they have the smarts and the wherewithal to go and watch this fucking glory of a film and then they walk away with something because it because this is a brilliant movie well some of the best social commentary i've ever seen i think that's a great thing So, without further ado, let's get into They Live, uh, in my opinion, the magnum opus of of Sir John Carpenter. So, we start with our protagonist, played by Roddy Piper, the man with no name who is only credited, his name is never said. His name Nada is never said, nothing in the film, never once. But in the end credits, he's credited as Nada. As we said before, this is the tip of the hat to George Nottom from 8 o'clock in the morning, written by Ray Nelson, the inspiration for this movie. So he's got a pack on his back, and he's walking through the fucking train yard. Uh, fun fact, the major uh, one of the biggest ticket items that they spent money on was having that train drive by. It cost them $12,000 to have it drive by, and they fucked up the first take with a technical uh, problem and they had to do it again that was another 12 grand so that's the second yeah. thing <laughs> oh. so your man your man is unemployed we find that out pretty quick he's wandering through they show him he's a lonely character it's very much like it's very much like the man with no name where he rides into town all alone and he leaves town all alone again right um there's a lot of clint eastwood nods there but um He goes, uh, gets shut down by the unemployment office pretty coldly, sleeps in an alley for the night. And this is the point where I remember seeing this as a kid and went, holy shit, it's the first time you see a television, really. And he's sleeping in an alleyway behind somebody's spot. This is in urban Los Angeles. So it's somebody's apartment. And they've got the window open and he can look through the window and watch the TV and both him and the person, presumably, it seems as though they are, that is sitting in their easy chair watching the television are just transfixed on. It. Just no blinking, no emotion, no nothing. They're just can't stop watching it. Then um, it's mindless, vapid bullshit. Every single thing they show on every television in this film, with the exception of the this guy's wanted by the FBI shit when it comes to, uh, Nada's character is all vapid nonsense. Um, yeah. so I thought that I, I remember that struck me when I first saw this, it's, I was like, Oh shit. That's like, he's really invested in this television. So pretty quick after that, your man, uh, goes walks by a construction site, uh, Winds up finagling a job out of the foreman under the table. Meets Keith David, uh, or Frank, played by Keith David, and and uh, he ends up uh, after the the job, the day is over. The foreman tells him you can't fucking sleep here. You hit the fucking bricks. Sleep somewhere else. He says, When do I get paid? In a couple days, on Thursday. All right. Your man Frank tells him, Hey, listen, man, I'm headed over this direction. There's a spot where you can get a bed, a shower, and uh some food, man. It's a it's there's some homeless cats over there. You can go over there. I'm headed that way if you want me to show you where it's at. And he doesn't say shit. Roddy says nothing to him. He just stares at him. So he goes, Fine, fuck you then. And he breaks out. But Roddy starts following him. Or, uh, Nada starts following Frank down the road. And Frank picks up on it. And after a couple blocks, Frank stops and goes, Listen, motherfucker, why are you following me? I don't like people following me. And he goes, Well. I don't like going with people until I know where they're going. Or I don't know. I don't like walking with people until I know where they're going. So they kind of hit it off on this weird, uh, standoffish way, which kind of sets the precedent for the entirety of their relationship. They go to the homeless spot. He gets, he gets, uh, ingratiated in with the, with the people, uh, you know, volunteers. He has his own tools, volunteers to help him fix some things. Um, and this spot is a big open lot with some lean-tos and small shacks built, some broken down cars, there's chairs, there's tables, you know, they've kind of set it up into this, you know, it's kind of a very Jonestown kind of feel to it, right? Um, and then across the street from this lot, there's this, there's a small church, we'll get into that in a moment. Your man um, gets food and hangs out for a little bit and they get to talking. Uh, your man, Frank, starts telling him, I've got a, a wife and two kids back in Detroit. Uh, I haven't talked to him or seen him in six months or I haven't seen them in six months. Things are fucked. And basically, he's talking about how fucked the economy is, how everything is just terrible. And he's doing what he can just to keep them alive. Um, it's no longer important that he gets to be there to be with his family. That's a luxury he can't even afford, which is criminal. Um, this and many other things. Let's just get this on the table. This is 1988. This is um, this is John Carpenter unapologetically being extremely critical, fairly of quite possibly the most unjust, corrupt, and evil and present U.S. presidential administration ever in the history of this country, the Reagan administration.
2: It's the Reagan administration. Okay.
0: He's he's shitting on Reagan himself, and he's shitting on capitalism. And he's, I think the biggest shot he is taking is at quote unquote Reaganomics, which was the whole trickle-down economics. Yeah. What we do is we give a shitload more money and tax breaks to the rich, and then they spend money, and that move that money goes down, creates jobs, and then the poor get some of it. It is the it's the Greatest trick the devil ever pulled type of shit. And we are still living with that in our country right now. We are essentially in the, what, 10th fucking Reagan administration right now. It's nothing has changed since that fucking prick has been president. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had to get that out there. Uh, We did. I did. We did a a NOLU episode on 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 Reagan. I did about half of his life. I think it was right, Terry.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so he's a piece of shit. Luckily, we have all kinds of new presidents since then that are giving him a run for his money on being the world's shittiest president. <laughs> yeah, so, we um, keep man. trying to we keep trying to outdo ourselves. That's what uh, America kind
0: of tries to do here. Yeah, fucking hell, man. So, um, okay, so while one of the things that Roddy saw, uh, or that that uh, Nada saw early on, while he was kind of walking around town after he gets shit on by the unemployment office he sees this blind uh, preacher that's prophesizing on the side of the uh, the, the road and kind of a, kind of a, a, a quad type of element uh, in the middle of Los Angeles. And he listens to him for a little bit. It's kind of some doomsday, but conspiracy theory. They're coming for us type of stuff all thrown together with a little bit of religion. Um, well, this man is at the church across the street from where he's sleeping at, at the homeless camp. And at night, these cats have legit set up something of a home here. They've got electricity. They've got running water on some level. And they've got a television set up. And everyone just sat there, stuck to it. And I wanted to bring this up. Um, it's just something I noticed. I couldn't find any reference to it. But in are you guys familiar with the Max Headroom yeah. uh, television hack? That was in November yeah. of 87. This mm-hmm. movie came out in 88, and I can't help but wonder if this part was a nod to that. So uh you can anyone Ooh, can, yeah. you can you can legit yeah. look up anybody out there listening, you can look up Max Headroom uh hack or television hack or whatever, and you can watch the full video. It's on YouTube, you can watch it. It's it's next level batshit, and it's one of my Ooh. favorite moments in television history. That's yeah, it's exciting. fucking
1: rad. And I think that John Carpenter
0: was completely aware of it. This would
1: have been on TV and on the radio and in the newspapers at the time this Max Headroom takeover was a big fucking deal because it was really literally the first time that anyone had even attempted to take over something of a media aspect you can't take over a newspaper you can't really take over a radio station back in the day you could do pirate radio but it was different this was being broadcast into someone's home and so john harvard totally fed off of it and was like we need to put this in the this movie people are aware of it right now and it's gonna fucking lay out the plot of the rest of this film that was my thought as well
0: i just want to see what y'all thought about that absolutely
1: it was
2: down here as well. Like, um, that, that, you know, like we got news of Max Headroom was a big thing down here as well. There was Australian advertisements featuring Max Headroom as well. So when that hack hit, it was all over the news down here. We were just going... What is this? What is happening? And, Terry, very good point. Hackers nowadays on the internet. Um, we were just recording when um, yeah. Facebook just got a huge hack last night and was down for 12 hours. We're recording now. Yeah. Happens all of the time. Yeah. But back then, you know, before the internet was television you know what I mean that was the main uh medium of for messaging and control as well that's what transfixed society back then so for something like Max Headroom to come through when it had never had anything like that before was huge yeah right yeah
0: and I mean I, I don't know I'm sure it is possible on some level but would definitely be more difficult to do but I don't think you can really crowbar your way into taking over the transmission of a radio feed, but you can do it. You can do that with video feed. You can do that with television transmitters. So, Mm -hmm. and the other thing about this is it wasn't like two seconds, it was a few minutes and it was two major networks uh, in, I think it was in the Midwest, like Chicago area, that type of thing. Uh, And they never got caught. Not only did they never get caught, they never even came close to figuring out who the fuck did that or why. And I love that so much. I I absolutely love shit like this. Just like I love this fucking hack with Instagram and Facebook. I think it's hilarious to shake things up because that shook people to their core. They're like, oh, you can just get in there? people can just get in there. Oh fuck. Like it's not as secure. Nothing's as secure as you think it is. You know, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. people need, I think people need a chin check once in a while to realize just like this movie Mm -hmm. shows us, it's not Mm -hmm. all that it seems. Mm -hmm. So, um, so your man, Mm -hmm. your man notices this hack comes through the television and there's this, there's this bearded white man, bespectacled white man going on about, uh, how we're being taken over, and how they're they're brainwashing us, and it's all we're we're being bred for slave labor. Uh, which I honestly believe wholeheartedly that the I can't remember what their name is, is. It the Juan Brothers, whatever the motherfuckers that did The Matrix. They took cues from this movie in strides, huge 100 percent amounts from this movie.
2: Sure, which else? Um,
0: that's right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm thinking James Wan. That's the song motherfucker. Um, yeah. 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 So uh, anyhow, so this motherfucker is going on and on and on. And Roddy's like, that's interesting. But he looks over and on the street corner sees a black blind preacher that he saw earlier. And he is in perfect sync with what's coming through on the television. It's, it's as though he's got to use his mind to broadcast this, and it takes a bit out of him. That's why it cuts in and out, and he stops talking from time to time. But clearly something fishy's going on. Something uh, is below the surface. Um, Roddy starts watching church, notices there's things going on. The guy that kind of facilitates the homeless camp keeps going back and forth and in and out, and, and he's like, there's just something going on over there. Finally, he gets in there and he finds a hidden little spot. Um, And the cops, uh, correct me if I'm missing anything. I don't think I am. Um, Oh, you're good. But the the, the cops show up one night and, well, the preacher actually throws him out, throws Roddy out. And, because he snuck in. Uh, It's, I believe that same night, the cops show up with a goddamn uh, uh, bulldozer and just knocked the entire homeless encampment to the ground. Side note, uh Roddy said that was the most difficult thing for him to deal with because it remind he didn't go into details, but it remind he was homeless at one point and it reminded him of a specific incident in his life and it bummed him out to the point where he needed to like you know go sit down away from That's the set shit. for a little. Yeah, it fucked with him, it triggered something with him. Um cool. and that type of shit Goes on in L.A. all the time, right now. Um, oh, yeah. Always has. Yeah. Always has. And um, so not only, I mean, the, it's not just the bulldozer, it's the riot squad shows up. And they are clubbing and kicking the shit out of everything that moves, man, woman, and child. And they also go in the church. Before you know it, the fu- and, and what it seems to me is, this is another thing that LAPD likes to do, probably many other police departments as well, They'll be like, well, we got this problem over here, this homeless encampment. We got to deal with that. And they'll be like, but the real problem is the revolutionaries across the street. We're using this as an excuse. And, oh, this just happens to get wrapped up in it. And all of a sudden, they they bomb a fucking building. So, and that is what happens. The church gets, uh, not burnt down. It gets raised from the inside out. It gets gutted by fire. Um, Roddy and a number of his compatriots run away, uh, the LAPD give chase, take shots at them. They manage to get away. And then after a safe amount of time, people kind of come back to the homeless camp, start building it up a little bit. Those that didn't get arrested or run away permanently for uh, fear, Roddy being one of them, he shows back up and he goes into the church, which is still smoking, and finds that the secret cabinet is still there. So the fucking Gestapo LAPD did not find this. So he opens it up and there sure enough is this fucking cardboard box he grabs cardboard box and he takes off with it. He's pretty sure he sees helicopters all the time. Um, ghetto birds call him down South. Right. And so he goes and fucking, uh, takes this, this box down an alleyway to a spot. He's positive. He's not being watched, opens it expecting to find something heavy and he finds maybe 50, 60, 75, hundred pairs of black, Sunglasses, very Ray Ban style, quite stylish. Honestly, that's the style I rock. I love. Yeah, it looks shits. good, man. And so he's kind of bummed, but he doesn't want to throw the thing away, so he kind of set he sets it aside. I think he was trying to hide it. I don't think he was trying to throw it away. If he's trying to throw it away, he would just throw it on the top of a dumpster. But he pulled trash out of a trash can and hid it, like he was going to come back for it for some reason. He starts walking down the street, and here is where the iconic shit begins. Your man finally goes, fuck it. I'm not going to carry these around all day. And he puts them on. The first thing he sees is that everything's black and white when he puts it on. The entire world is devoid of color. But then he, he takes them off, trips out a little bit, puts them back on, and he looks at a billboard for a compute, some computer technology firm. And once he puts the glasses on, that billboard only says the word obey this is where shepherd Ferry got his now iconic and transcendent uh graffiti uh moniker so he's tripping out on that he looks up at another billboard that's for some vacation site uh hawaii or the philippines or something like that and he puts the glasses back on and it said i think if correct me if I'm wrong, i think it said marry and reproduce and that was it yeah um So he starts walking down the street with these glasses on and is looking at magazine covers. And they all say things like submit, no ideas, Um, you know, and, and other things of the like. very Orwellian style uh, 1984 type things going on here, very Fahrenheit 451 imagery you have here. He's standing looking at a magazine and he's pulling the glasses on and off. And when he's got them on, He's opening and flipping through pages and it says just instructional, you know, the three rule. It's kind of the three rules of 1984 is what I get from it. You remember the uh, the uh, slavery is freedom and that type of thing. Right. It's notes like that. But when he takes them off, there's full articles and interviews with this, that and the other person. There's some really cleverly placed things as well, like on the covers of those magazines. If you go back and look at them. And it it looks like any magazine you would say, but you realize in the context of this, of this uh, controlling 1984 Orwellian type of thing, you can actually see that it's saying that, but in a more flowery, flowerly, flowery, subtle way, so as to sure. not give away that it's just vapid bullshit to get you to buy something.
2: Yeah yeah um sorry commander can i just uh, point Please. something out here uh that's important for the character development of nada which creates the turn for him as well because i'm not sure if it was just after the encampment was bulldozed uh frank is pissed off about it but uh nada uh says it's okay. We've just got to follow the rules. We've got to have trust in the American government. Uh, if you follow the rules, it will all work out in the end, you know, before he puts on the sunglasses. So putting on the sunglasses and seeing the world as it really is are, progresses are you, into, if I'm not mistaken?
0: Are you referring to the part where Frank, with the conversation I was talking about, where Frank is talking about his family in Detroit, and he's saying... And then, and then, yeah, Nada that's, said, it, that's it. Yeah, that is it. That and Nada it, yes. says, Hey, I think you need to just have a little more patience. And he goes, I'm fucking that's fresh it. out of patience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. mention
0: that part of the conversation. You're right. Like, he, Nada is kind of an upbeat guy and thinks ah, things will work out if I just follow the rules and do the right thing and do what I'm supposed to. And Frank is like, I re- I'm just doing whatever I have to do to get by, but I don't really give a fuck about normalcy or the rules anymore. Um, Yes. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. Um, So at this point, he's looks up and sees a fella standing at the magazine rack who has this somewhat, uh, I don't know how you put uh, the way I kind of want to say is it's grotesque and quasi rotted uh, face, right? Uh, Bones and muscle and cheek tendons and things are showing the eyes are bugged out of the skull kind of what you would get if you removed the first couple of layers of skin from a human face in black and white. Uh, and this motherfucker is like Roddy's staring at this guy. So the guy, of course, like any normal person would do, goes, what's your problem? You got a problem. What are you looking at? And he keeps taking the thing off and putting it back on. This guy looks suspicious, but he just walks away, gets in the car, and takes off. Um, he one of the next things that happens a very important part of the movie he wanders into a liquor store and all the bottles of liquor and all the everything in this place all has these same bullshit messages submit and things like that um which i think is pretty brilliant to put on a bottle of liquor we should make our own man bites pot liquor just called submit um (laughs) just just for for propaganda down the road so um while he's in there he sees this older woman in a mink coat and they, I, it's weird because his attitude changes the more he wears the glasses. You find out later he explains he's like those things actually make you feel high on some level, and the come down is really bad. Um, so that's kind of why he's acting really funny right here and getting confident and somewhat euphoric the way you might if you pop the Vicodin or drink a couple of beers. So he's talking to this lady and giving her a bunch of shit because she's got the skull face and. He then dry snitches on himself, and he's telling everybody in the story, he's like, yeah, when I put the, take the glasses off, you look like a fucking halfway normal person. When I put them on, you, you look like fucking seven shades of shit. <laughs> and she ri- r- lifts her wrists up, pushes a button on a wristwatch, and says, we've got one that can see. So now he goes, oh, shit, this is deeper than I thought it was. And he's still talking shit anyway. But pretty quick, he decides he's got to get the fuck out of there. Takes off, and um, now there are police and other people in the liquor store are also calling it in, giving a description of him. And pretty soon, he winds up in an alleyway, chased down by two cops, who also, when he has the glasses on, have the skull face. Not everybody has the skull face. Uh, That's important to, to mention. And... He ends up getting into a tussle with these cops, beats the shit out of both of them, ends up killing both of them um, and gets away. But they're in the middle. They kind of are having an exchange talking about what type of predicament he's in and what he stumbled upon. Um, So then we now he winds up taking all their guns and wanders into a bank. And now we have one of the most quoted and transcendent lines of all time. And this is a Rowdy Roddy Piper original. He wrote this. He walks in and everyone looks at him. He's holding the shotgun. And he says, Reverend. I
1: came to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. That's
0: fucking right. So pretty quick, uh, he starts seeing skull people in in the bank that work there, that are in line there. And he marks a couple of them after the security guard takes a shot at him. Takes off running. Uh there's a bit of a chase scene, you know, people get shot. Well, not people, the skull people do. And he winds up running. What's the woman, the actress's name? Meg Foster is her name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. she I know the reverend's got heat, but she's uh done some really good stuff with Rob Zombie. Um, she's kind of a she's a pretty brilliant actress. Um, and so he runs into her, hijacks her car. She also not skull faced. Um has her get in the car and drive him. He's now coming down from the glasses. Has her drive into uh her house away from the cops? You what? So he just
2: falls into her car. Yeah. And yeah. then she and, and they basically goes, Oh, okay, you need a lift and it drives off.
0: When you yeah, think about
2: when you've seen the whole film, that makes sense. But when you first see it, you go, What? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> This is one of those movies, not in a, not in a really heavy, like usual suspects kind of way, but this is a different movie the second time you watch it. Um, sure. Sure. so, um, they get to the house. He starts kind of explaining things. She's not really buying it. She seems skeptical. Uh, he insists that she tries the glasses on she, and they're up, they're up on the second story. They, she lives in the Hollywood Hills. She's doing well for herself. Yeah. Um, She tells him that she is an exec uh, or uh, some director of something over at the uh, studio. What is it? 52, 58. I can't remember the number, but it's, uh, it's the television. It's, it's the news uh, or the television station of LA, which is a major fucking network. Um, He gets all excited and jumps up and goes, Hey, I saw newscasters on there with the thing, and he's trying to explain it, and she tricks him, cracks him with a bottle, knocks him out the fucking window, and he tumbles down several stories and still looks great. Still looks great. Roddy's... Fuck yeah, he Roddy's does. All good. Roddy can take a bump, man. Yeah. Anyone that's seen him wrestle knows that guy can take a fucking bump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he gets up, and cops are coming, so he takes the fuck off. Now, I think if I remember correct, the next thing he does makes his way to the construction site finds his buddy Frank he's hiding in some lumber and he's like Frank and he's like what the fuck man get the fuck out of here i don't want to talk to you how many fucking people did you kill he's like i didn't kill any people i killed no people and he's like man i don't want to hear that shit get the fuck out of here and he's like look man you need to fuck come and talk to me he winds up and Frank fucking bounces not having it on the construction site he winds up uh finding frank in the alleyway goes and catches him frank says look man i brought you your week's pay here you go that's all you're getting from me i don't want to hear from you so frank is a good guy at his core the world has just made him bitter and 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 made his exterior cold and steely but he's a really good guy on the inside um roddy insists that he, he's like just put the fucking glasses on That's all i'm asking you. he's like nope don't care and a fight ensues now we need to talk about this fuck fight
1: this is the greatest fight of cinematic history yes man. we do <laughs> thank
0: you i believe that to my <laughs> core this is my favorite one-on-one fist fight in all of cinema absolutely
2: it's top tier right. material it's fantastic
0: yeah 5.5 minutes of yeah. roddy piper and keith david kicking the absolute shit out of each other and other than punching in the face in the balls which they do plenty of in this scene they were really taking shots at each other they really were fucking throwing fucking shots in the bread basket like they fucked each other up and neither one of them dudes is a small guy like they can fucking hit hard oh, so sure.
1: yeah
0: great fucking fight if you just go to youtube and watch that fucking fight yeah it'll make your goddamn day don't even you don't even have just- to watch with it
2: It took about four hours, four to eight hours to shoot that shit as well, something like that, yeah? Um, Yeah, my guess is Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, just, um, yeah, the wrestling spots. (laughs) There are some legitimate wrestling moves that are performed
1: for real in this this fight uh, scene, yeah.
0: Carpenter wanted, and Carpenter's a wrestling mark, by the way. I don't know if you know that. No, I don't
2: know. I didn't know that. He's okay. a
0: super wrestling mark. When yeah. he, when he, when he realized he couldn't use Kurt Russell, he watched WrestleMania in 1987, which I think was like the third one, second or that third. Thing. Yeah. And yeah. and he he saw Piper and he went, oh, that's the fucking guy. That's how he got the fucking that's idea of awesome. Piper. That's so awesome. when he, comes to, he goes to Piper for this fight, and he's like, look, man, I, I want a suplex in this fucking fight somewhere. And Roddy's answer to that was, what kind? And then he proceeded to show him, demonstrated a couple on Carpenter, like showed him how they went. He did a sleeper hold on Carpenter. Carpenter, in an interview, said, he's like, sleeper hold's no joke, man. That's legit. It's, that will put you to fucking sleep. And so they decided on which suplex to do, and he suplexed the fuck out of Keith David. Yes.
2: he gives him a belly-to-back a belly to back suplex, to be specific. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And just imagine... Not only that's on the hot-ass, dirty-ass yes,
2: exactly. L.A.
0: <laughs> concrete, it's also, you know, that was one of the dirtiest alleyways, and some of that grime is 100% legit, you can tell. It's yeah. disgusting, man. Yeah. So, yeah, great that's fucking awesome. fight team. Um, I'm trying to remember where they go from there. Um, Oh, so they both get over on each other a couple of times, and when you think the fight's over, they keep fucking fighting. Finally, Roddy suplexes this motherfucker and puts the glasses on him, and now Keith David can't unring the bell. He's like, "Well, shit." So now, now they're parlaying. Now they're running around. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think after this, pretty soon after this, they go and find the underground resistance. Correct? Yeah. Am yeah, I missing anything shit. in between? Nothing major. No. Yeah, I don't think anything major. So they go to this other underground resistance, and one of my favorite small parts in the whole movie is that fucking biker stood out front with that long-ass beard and a shotgun, just like, come on in. I'm like, yeah, man, that's some White Panthers shit. I really like it, man. That's hard. So he lets him on in. Um, uh, there's a whole fucking mess of people, including, um, I believe the preacher was there, but most definitely uh the the camp steward whose name fails me also another guy who's in a ton of shit he's in a bunch of john carpenter movies um yeah. the guy that's and they're wearing the
2: rays they're wearing yeah. the rays at this point so you know shit's getting serious
0: uh, <laughs> right we're getting, we're getting into malcolm x territory they're not fucking around so um so uh that dude's there there's a bunch of motherfuckers there that they've seen before and they're, they're bickering, not bickering, but they're arguing a little back and forth about what the next step is. Do we go direct action? Do we just start fucking putting holes in people? Or do we this, that, the other thing? They now know that there is a race that is not human that is controlling at least a great amount of the human population and its power structure. They don't know if it's global. They don't know if it's just America. They don't know how far reaching this is but they know it's a fucking serious thing, and they're not quite sure how to proceed. Um, Some things are said. Some da-da-da ideas are thrown out. Everyone gets strapped up. They've just got a table. Boondock Saints level fucking just piled up of guns, and those get passed out like candy on Halloween, (coughs) and the fucking Gestapo shows up. LAPD gets wind of it, starts showing up, and they take off, and once again... One of the reasons this dude's one of my favorites, son that's holding down the door, that fucking biker is like, everybody take guns and get the fuck out of here. And he stands on that porch and never leaves and just starts bucking at all those cops. I love that dude. One of my favorite characters in the whole movie. Um, And he says like two words.
2: (laughs) The cops cops are also faceless as well. Aren't they just like a black face mask, stormtrooper style as well? The riot cops
0: are. Yeah, the riot cops are. Um, And... But the other thing is they talk about this during the meeting. They're like, let's just go start sh- killing cops. They're like, you can't do that. They're not all aliens. Like the yeah. first or whatever they are. Yeah. And yeah. W- the ones that that, that Nada popped in that alleyway, though they were both skull-faced. Uh, they were the they were the the overseers. They were the slave masters for sure. But a bunch of these cops, there's an uh, there's a cop that he lets go in an alleyway that chased him down. Um, but piper gets the drop on him tells him to drop his gun and, and kick rocks because he's not going to shoot a, a human being he's only you know what i mean like so now uh they kind of get away from that i'm trying to remember where do we go after that
2: um, um meg Foster, meg foster's characters at the uh, resistance meeting as well she's revealed at this stage to be a part of the resistance as well yeah
0: right right what I'm trying to remember, I feel like the next bit is kind of just a cat and mouse with the LAPD and those two specifically. And I think what they're on about is they decide they're going to go to the TV station um, was the next bit. Um, is it that there's the
2: alleyway is because then they had those watches as well. And then they go to the alleyway and they find their portal.
0: Right. So, yes. So when they're getting chased, when they're getting chased, that's right. You're right when they're getting chased by the cops, and that goes on for quite a while, the cat and mouse with the LAPD and the, the several gunfights that break out in alleyways, um, they they come up on one of the watches. Or do you know what? Someone had one at the meeting. That's what it was. Yes, that's what and it was. And they were yeah. talking, yeah. Cy Richardson was going, I'm trying to figure out this technology because these motherfuckers can warp mm. away with And it, he's like, it. I figured out how they communicate with these. It's a two-way radio. He's like, but I have not figured out how... They're teleporting. So they get this watch in the melee of, of the Gestapo breaking up their little, their, their Black Panther party. And so when they're pinned down in an alleyway, the watch drops and malfunctions and opens up a hole into the ground. And Piper's like, well, we got no choice, jump in there. And so in, in, in with a photo finish, of course, at the buzzer, They both make it in, and they're in this concrete uh, underground that honestly looks like the -the behind-the-scenes underground of Disneyland or or a major stadium production type place, right? Sure. Yeah. There's it's a very industrial type of area, and they're walking through. There's alien writing on the wall, some English, but mostly this alien language. And another fun one when they the first people they encounter are kind of soldier slash night watchman security guards who are talking on a device. Did you happen to notice this device?
1: Which one? Remind me? The, the, two, of the,
0: the, 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 two, the two guys that are in, the, in that, that big concrete out, uh, uh, hallway, they come across two guys and they end up hiding around the corner waiting mm. for these guys to kind of disperse. They are not talking on a watch. They're talking on another device. Did you happen to clock this device?
1: No, no. It
0: is the exact same. It's not like a redone one. It is the EKG meter that Egon uses in the Ghostbusters.
1: The oh, little thing sure. <laughs> okay. where the little
0: things go up on the side with the flashing lights uh-huh. and come back down. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. Talking on that. It's uh-huh. the same one. I, I saw it and I went, that's the thing from the Ghostbusters. So I went and looked it up. Sure enough, that was the exact same prop oh. that they dug out for this flick.
2: Oh, picked up from Egg Shen's office, no doubt. It, no doubt. I think yeah. that uh, carpenter's
0: <laughs> a fan of Aykroyd and of the Ghostbusters in particular. Yeah, it seems like it, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> then this is where it gets, uh this is where, oh, another thing that's happened by this point at the meeting, they go, hey, you don't need those glasses. Everyone in here is human. But these are a little easier on the eyes. They've developed contact lenses that do the same thing, but they're a little easier on the mind state. So yeah. they've got those in. so they're not wearing the glasses anymore. Uh, they wind up walking into a big ballroom where every it's a black tie affair and it is a meeting of the world powers. And this man, there's a term that he used. I feel like he said the human power structure or something along those lines. The old
2: boy, the old boy who's doing his monologue about the state stage. of the world and the elite. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're
0: and right. he basically breaks down that yes, this is an alien race that has uh, that has given uh, given these this the world's power to these this one room full of people. And in tandem with this alien race, they control everything, and the aliens are destroying the world uh, using capitalism and greed as a way to uh, harness uh, the 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 world as they need it to supply them. It's basically just another farm for them to go through, deplete, and then move on to the next one. Um, there's plenty of movies that have taken that particular thing and run with it. Um, and um, another thing they do show is there's a room where where they show how they teleport between worlds. Um, it's kind of a quick little gimmick. It's not even terribly important to the film, but it's it's kind of a it's a spectacle to behold. It's kind of cool. A little yeah. extra. It's a little flavor on top is really what it is. Yeah, the little right.
1: stargaze portal thing. It's fucking rad, dude. Right. It's cool as fuck,
0: man, especially for 88, and, man. And
1: it's
2: it also going. shows how insignificant humans are. They haven't come to Earth like humans are amazing or anything like that. It's just resources. It's just food, so to speak. And they've got to move on to the next feeding station after this. You know what I mean?
0: Right. It's a. Yeah. It's an actual visualization of the words that, the, that this guy is speaking in front of that room of people that's that's exactly right so it actually is somewhat important visually and cinematically to the plot um so our fellas wind up there's a guy who i'm gonna assume is basically like a texas oil man and he is probably (laughs) a little half cocked on his own bourbon and decides to be real friendly with these fellas and go come on boys you can afford to dress better than that let's take a walk and he just starts showing them everything. That's the point where he goes, this is how they travel everywhere. And da, 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 da. then they wind up going, he's like, hey, can you take us to the TV station? We'd love to see what goes on over there. So sure enough, they go over there. And this is also this whole thing about the different rooms and the entire world existing within this place. That's very much the Matrix lifted all that too. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. So they go, they go into the TV station and then they pretty quickly tell this motherfucker, "Yeah, you know what? We're just gonna take the whole shit over. We're not who you think we are." And they proceed to assault, uh, do a full-on frontal assault on the TV station. What they're trying to do is get to the top of the TV station to destroy the transmitter. The transmitter, <clears throat> yeah, the satellite dish that's transmitting, is not just transmitting the the uh, airwaves of the television signal. It's also transmitting the color that the world has and all of the book covers that you see all of the fun uh billboards and and all the flavor visually that's in the world is being broadcast by this and it doesn't actually exist um at least not in the way that we think it does so i i don't think i really need to go through the cat mouse chase up the stairs but they get into some gunfights. They get up onto the fucking roof, and they meet up with uh Meg Foster, whose name is failing me, the character's name. Yeah. Um, mm. But they they're going up, and in a fucking twist, M Night Shyamalan wishes he thought of that. They're going up, and she pops one in the back of Keith David's head. She I meets she meets mm-hmm. Roddy up on the on the um, on the rooftop. He's got a, he's got a desert eagle uh, pointed at the transmitter, about to take it out. And she says, "Drop the gun." And he turns around, and he is outgunned and outmanned because pretty soon there's an LAPD chopper right there, holding guns on him as well, telling him he needs to drop his gun.
2: Yeah, and yeah. he ends and then up- her name's Holly Thompson. Sorry. Make Thank you. just character Holly Thompson.
0: Holly Thompson. And so, well done. Thank you for that, Mara. So he decides, he's got 10 seconds, because the guy in the helicopter is counting down. I'm going to fucking shoot you if you don't drop that goddamn gun and walk away. And he ends up going, all right, drops the gun, and then pulls out another service revolver he took off of one of those cops that he shot, and he puts a hole in Holly, kills her, and then turns around quickly and destroys the fucking uh, transmitter satellite, knowing full well he was going to die doing it. He gets shot by the cops. And then another thing, one of the few things that Roddy said he regretted was he looks up at the chopper and flips off the chopper. And what he regretted was doing it like this instead of like this. Okay. Okay. He didn't do it in this tough fist kind of way, which I don't know why anyone would do it any other way. But he does it, and it's kind of haphazard. My fingers are sort of sticking up, mm-hmm. kind of. And I think the goal of that was I'm dying. I don't have all the strength, but I'm going to use every last bit to tell you to go fuck yourself. Um, the, fucking, the whole shit explodes. The whole transmitter goes down. And then the next thing we see, I love this. This is such a good end. The next thing we see is the television in a bar. And it's colorized, and it's the news report, but they don't have the facade of being humans. Their skull face is talking, and everyone's like, what the fuck? And then everyone yeah. turns, and there's several people in the bar that are just sat there like, wow, well, well, what's wrong? And they see that this motherfucker skull face. Then there's a, a lady that's banging a dude. She's watching television going, why do those people look funny? And she looks down, and the dude she's banging has got a skull face. and that. Is the end of the fucking flick. So yeah, begging, begging the alien. It's hilarious, and so you get your boobs, Terry. So good for you. I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> and so I love this end. It's kind of campy. It's kind of funny, um, which is on brand for Piper and for Carpenter. Um, mm. And there's kind of a, and once again, as we talked about with with other times he's done this, it's a little open ended we don't get the nice bow wrapped up. Oh, the alien civilization fell and the humans come back like an in independence day where everything's just fucking sweet at the end for some bullshit reason. Right. This is like, Terrible. well, you fucked up one transmitter, but these people clearly control the entire globe. This is not their first rodeo. This is a, this is a blip. So they're probably going to take control again, but do the humans rise up and at least put, put out a fight? This sets up a perfect sequel, quite honestly. It, and it probably could have been done if Carpenter would have done it, but I'm glad it never happened. This is a fucking brilliant movie, shitting on capitalism, Reaganomics, the homelessness, mental illness as well, which is another thing that Reagan did. He closed down all the fucking mental hospitals. That's the reason our country mm-hmm. has so much problems with mental health mm-hmm. right now, yes. because of that motherfucker in the early 80s and the late 70s. Even as governor of California, fuck everybody in this country. So love this movie. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say because I've been going on and on and on. How about uh, Reverend?
1: Yeah, man, this is a cinematic fucking masterpiece in every sense of the fucking word. Um, This was so influential on me personally growing up like saw this before i was into punk rock you know and like but i was like oh yeah they're they're definitely lying to us they're definitely (laughs) lying to us like yeah this is exactly what's going on this you know and um i don't believe it to like a david ike aspect but it's fucking true they're selling us on everything and fucking it's constantly been like that throughout all of our media-soaked lives and what am i fucking obsessed with Fucking media. We're doing a show right now. We're making media about media right now, you know, and it's all encompassing. But the brilliance of this and the portrayal of how what is only what they want us to see is what we see, and it's not what they're actually trying to sell us. You know, that's the brilliance of this film. Uh, It's so fucking important. It's such an important film.
0: Absolutely. They're selling us a bill of goods. You know what I mean? That's that's what Carpenter's on about. In a, in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. Baron, please. I'm, I, I already know how the Reverend feels about this because we have the same timeline and story. So, uh, even though yeah. we didn't know each other at the time, we have the same yeah. timeline and story as far as influence of this movie. So I'm dying to know what you have to say. And I'm dying to know if you could comment on this film's... Uh, influence and legacy in Australia and and New Zealand, if you can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It doesn't have anywhere the same level of influence that it did uh, down here as it has in uh, America, basically, yeah? Um, I myself have only seen the film recently, full disclosure, Um, and so I'm very glad we are talking about it. We brought it to the show because... I'd always, um, liked Carpenter in general has had a renaissance in the past, say, five uh, to ten years. This film, outside, I think, of the people who saw it back in the day and people of, of uh, your ilk, you know, the punk rock ilk as well, um, it, its influence wasn't hugely felt. It has become more, even has uh, become influential towards a general audience nowadays. I don't know if the uh, branding, the commodifi- commodification of the bay brand has helped that in a kind of converse, ironic way, um, or it's just the popularity and the respect uh, that has now given the legacy that is beginning to manifest with Carpenters helped this film become more realized. Um, But uh, I think it is a very, uh, I can see its importance. I can see how influential it has been, absolutely. Um, And so I respect it for that, like um, just in terms of social commentary and influence. Uh, from the 80s from an independent punk rock fuck you to the industry fuck you to capitalism fuck you to Reaganism I think it deserves a 10 out of 10 absolutely I don't think it's the best film ever made I think there are if I to be honest I think there are corny elements in here I think there are um, shoehorned in one liners like the bubble gum scene in the bank that doesn't sell it for me that's pretty much the only part of the movie I actually don't like to be perfectly honest Um, I think Carpenter could have done a more serious film if this was his independent film after leaving uh the mainstream hollywood system and going to do films that he wanted to do i think more time could have been given to plot and character development uh in that sense um, but at the same time, I'm not mad at this film. I recognise its importance and influence, and I do enjoy this film. Uh, there certainly are other films that I uh, enjoy more so from Carpenter. That's why, like I'm the Thing, uh, I stated at the start as my favourite film. But that's from a purely from a uh, level of um, movie making skill um, in terms of uh, pure cinema. Yeah, because that film is. Like you can barely fault it uh technically, yeah. And um and mm-hmm. the characters as well, the justification of doing what they do, that sort of thing. It's not shoeing shoehorning in one-liners or anything like that. I don't know if it's just me. I'm not just a fan personally of that sort of thing. Um I think this film does need to be seen. Um, I think uh for people to understand how this type of influence via the media has gone from television to the internet because uh, a lot of things that were talk- was talking about uh, in television and its influence negative as can now be seen nowadays in the uh, internet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but it's a, de- it's a good film. It's an important film. I just don't think I uh, had the history of it that you guys did obviously um, so, uh, so I don't, it doesn't move me as much as it's, as it moves you to, which is fair enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Once again, yeah. this, this was formative in my youth for, um, it, it, I switched on in a number of ways because of this movie. So it's very important beyond nostalgia to who I am as a person. So, um, it, as far as appreciating movies, artwork, um, appreciating that not everything is what it seems. It it, philosophically, this is an important movie to me as a person. So, um, but I understand if I'd have seen this after I'd already formed a number of hardened opinions and become an adult, I certainly would view this differently, I guarantee it. So I completely understand that. Um, But I wanted to tell you a couple other interesting things about this movie. One of my favorite things that I just learned today is that um, Carpenter, it, we don't really hear much about uh, Nada's story as far as uh, his backstory at all. He just shows up and walks out of the sunset into the, into the town. Um, mm-hmm. There are little things, there's one scene where he kind of talks a little bit about his dad being kind of a yeah. jerk off and putting hands on him. And he mentions, he mentions a couple little things. But Carpenter told Piper, I want you to develop a backstory for this character and not tell me anything about it. And not only did Piper never tell him about it, he never told anybody. If he'd have said something about it in an interview, it might have changed how people watched the movie. So he just never said anything. So Piper, who's been dead for a few years now, is the only person that knows mm. this character's backstory. And no yeah. one will ever know it now.
2: I get that. And that is, that is quite brilliant, definitely, as an approach to a character. Mm. Um, I think, just for me, the only thing that uh, stops me from loving this film rather than just appreciating it uh, is the fact, I mean, like, I understand Carpenter's a filmmaker he's made a film he needs to make his money back if not make money yeah he has Roddy Piper in there who was for like you know it's a novelty factor of having a Wrestlemania star and he's going to sell to wrestling fans as well wow. um, and he does push that a little bit with the um turn of, of uh, Nada's character from going from obeying the rules to disobeying the rules yeah um, and when he starts putting on the glasses, and when he starts falling over everything in a real clumsy fashion, when he throws in the fight scene, when he throws in the bubble gum line, it's it takes out of us, uh, takes it away from a movie that is against capitalism, against you know mainstream media, etc., using uh, Roddy as a device to sell a product within uh to sell a media product to sell a, a celebrity a star with an immediate product when their whole movie is a is a message against that for, for me there was that just little clash of ideology which made it didn't meld for me that's the only critique really that i have of this film that's the only serious critique i can give this film
0: i suppose i can see i see what you're on about um I, once again, kind of what I said about Obey is I don't feel that the integrity of the film is changed because that is what Carpenter wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. I I think that if the studio had asked him to do that, he wouldn't have done it. Everything that's okay. in this movie okay. is what he yep. wanted to do. This was his artistic vision. And, and it's definitely campy, but it's what he mm-hmm. wanted to do for sure. Yeah, yeah including okay. that bubble bubblegum line that was that was he saw it in roddy's book of one-liners he had for when he was wrestling and he's like that's fucking awesome can you use that and he did
2: yeah 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 so, no, i hear you i hear you i hear you um i guess it's a critique that could be seen two different angles yeah sure. yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah but don't get me wrong this isn't a bad film this is still an important film and i do realize that i do see that absolutely
0: Um, I I found one other thing today that kind of blew me away, uh, and I did not know this at all. I knew about Kurt Russell years ago. That was it. But according to this, I'm not sure how credible this source is. I didn't have time to really pick it apart. But apparently, I've got a slew of names to list for you here. Alec Baldwin, Michael Bean, Brian Bosworth, Jeff Bridges, Bruce Campbell, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Tommy Lee Jones, Michael Keaton, Christopher Lambert, Stephen Lang, Dolph Lundgren, Michael Madsen, Bill Paxton, Ron Perlman, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jesus Sylvester Christ. Stallone,
1: Patrick <laughs> Swayze,
0: Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Bruce Willis were all considered to play the role of nada. All of them were thought about. Um, and not one of them could have done it right because it had to be Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, of those, of those, I think the closest would have been probably Bruce Campbell.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I think Bruce Campbell would have come the closest, but it still wouldn't have been anywhere mm. near the same.
1: No, no. Hexton but, would have been interesting. Yeah, Bill Paxton would have been cool to see. I fucking love Bill Paxton.
0: I absolutely but, but love that, that. would have been it cool. Could have been, it could have been
2: too heartfelt, though. You know what I mean? You might have, yeah, because uh, there it would have been less every man and focusing on a particular individual's plight. Because Roddy Piper was everyone's uncle and that everyone's hard working American uncle. He, he did pull that off, which I think is important for this film. I,
0: I feel like Paxton is very, very similar in that aspect. That's why I thought it was such a good point that he would have been interesting because he's got the same kind of somewhat rough edge. Like that dude could probably fuck you up if he wanted to, but he's also endearing golden hearted
1: type of cat.
0: I mean, he did that in frailty. He was, he he was, he was the, the, the best father ever. Um, Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think he, I think he would have been interesting, um, kind of on the, not quite on the level of, uh, what would it have sounded like if Bon Scott would have sung Back in Black, because all those songs were already written, but he just tapped before they could do it. I'm really interested to hear that. This is like two steps below. That. I, get I, get <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I get you. I get you. Um, let's get into some gimmicks here, fellas. Um, if, if you guys are through. Let's yeah. do it, man. Yeah. Uh, let's go bit of violence. Um. You guys probably know what's coming. So to our listeners, my favorite bit of violence... Oh, something that I forgot to mention. Uh, when he kills a uh, homegirl on top of the building, that's the only person that he kills. Every single other person he marks in that movie is a skull alien demon gimmick. And she deserved it. I mean, she she, did was straight,
2: she was a straight-out villain, straight-out, like, you know, just...
0: Yeah, she no she was a humanity villain, yeah? Yeah, she was choose for Hitler all day. Dude, yes. fuck her. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, bit of violence. My favorite bit of violence, like I said, I'll bet you it, it, the smart money's on this one. A bunch of people got it riding on it. Uh, when he marks those two cops in the alleyway, that's my absolute <laughs> favorite part. <of> the movie.
2: <laughs> How did I not see that coming? <laughs> I
0: know it's that. great, too. It's the, it's the first real heavy violence that you see. I mean, yeah, the cops fucked a bunch of people up before that, but in this one, it's like, oh, shit, like, he just killed two cops in an alleyway in broad daylight in Los Angeles. Now it's very exciting. Like, now, how are yeah. the people going to get out of this one? It's one of those. For um, sure, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it yeah. starts off strong, and that ends with the fucking middle finger at the fucking police copter up in the air, you know? Like... He Mm -hmm. starts and ends this fucking strong with the fucking violence. Yeah, man. If it's not the cop's dying, I got to say it's the middle finger at the very end. That's your favorite bit of violence? Well, the fucking whole, like, death scene on the top of the building and him flipping them off and everything. Yeah, that.
0: So shooting that broad and getting shot and shooting the transmitter in the middle finger, we're going to wrap that into one bit of violence? I'm not mad at that. Yeah. It's a package deal. It's on sale. Or just even well. the
1: transmitter and the fucking FU because he all well yeah. yeah, there you go. And him
0: getting shot.
2: A, yeah. Because it's an FU to Reaganomics as well. The whole, the whole Reagan regime, I think, as well. And one yeah. simple hand gesture. Absolutely. Yeah. 100 um, And I think that's part of the reason why this movie, um, like for an American audience, is so important as well, definitely. Because it is a middle finger to Reaganomics. Um, because I mean, guys, you had like uh, an actor, a ho- an old, bad Hollywood actor with senility running the place. I know you had Donald Trump, yeah, but that wasn't the first time you had uh, a dipshit Hollywood person, yeah, <laughs> a reality TV star. This guy was a, a senile, bad, old school yeah. Hollywood actor running the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's crazy,
0: and he um, was markedly worse. I would say he was markedly worse than Trump.
2: Uh, on a few that models. whole challenger, that whole challenger scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that's. Oh, did I say that? Well, I might have said that, but oops, sorry about that. I'm going to say this now because I forgot that I said that.
0: But okay. Yeah. Look, man. Anybody <laughs> wants to know about Reagan, go and li- if you listen to the episode yeah, we did on Reagan, um, we don't even talk about his presidency. We don't even get sure. into that. Sure. We stop like right around. 1980 uh give or take right around there before he became president he was a piece of shit his entire life and did absolutely horrible things to the state of california before he fucked up the entire country and kind of the world um yeah yeah so uh baron favorite bit of violence here
2: yeah absolutely absolutely thank you yes and go check out no one likes it it is really fucking good um yeah well being pretty much the biggest wrestling show, even though I'm not that much of, uh, sorry, being the biggest wrestling fan on the show, even though I'm not that much of a mark. But Roddy Piper, he is the best wrestler of all time. I do agree with you, there, Commander, 100. And so it's got to be the belly to back suplex in the I fight scene in the alleyway. <laughs> I knew it.
0: Has <laughs> to be. Has <laughs> to
1: be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Oh, uh, and
0: it's perfectly executed. It's beautiful. It's so good. Yeah. yeah yeah
2: and rest in peace piper you're becoming a you know a hero of this podcast absolutely and the movies that we cover and um yeah you're just a hero for culture and humanity i think the guy was fucking awesome yeah
0: absolutely um all right um are we ready to do uh jabba royale
1: yeah, I, I want to know because man, this has got Absolutely. one of the best fight scenes of all time. So you got to
0: kind of bring it here right now, man. I, I'm with you on that. I think I got a thinker for you. I think I got uh, a good one for you. Uh, obviously, I can't do, uh, I can't do Frank versus Nada because we saw that shit. So I, I had to think really fucking hard about this, and I went Gilbert versus the preacher. Gilbert was the guy, is, is played by Peter Jason. He was the guy that was fixing chairs. He's the steward of the camp that works with the preacher and he's running back and forth. Okay. Gilbert versus the preacher, the blind preacher.
1: Okay.
2: That is a thinker.
0: Good. Uh, Reverend,
2: please, you're more familiar with this film. I need to think on that.
1: I mean, I want to say the blind preacher, but he's blind. You know, so, I, I mean, I just don't see Gilbert really fucking going very far with whoever. I, I really feel like like Gilbert's character is very squirrely. He's under the scenes, under the floorboards. That's the way he's running shit, you know? Um, and the blind preacher, it seems like he's got, like, some
0: fucking visions from God going on. So, I, but he's okay. blind. Okay, let me let me put a couple things out there. And these are both pros in it for both of them just to give you something to think about this is what made me pick this so your man gilbert your man gilbert has the energy at his age because he's getting on an age that motherfucker's clearly in his at least in his 40s right and he's running back and forth he's dealing with this underground resistance and he's holding down this homeless campground he's building fucking furniture which means he's good with his hands which means he's been building shit for a long goddamn time So he's got this fucking energy, and he's that age, he's got that old man strength. You know he's got that farm boy old man strength. That's true. And he's a revolutionary, which means he's not scared to fucking get down. Now, the preacher, blind as he is, threw Roddy fucking Piper out of his church and didn't have a problem doing it. He also fought off like six riot cops for a good while with his back against the wall in an alleyway before they finally got the better of him. Yeah.
1: Good, man. This I, is good. I'm saying these guys go five rounds at least, man. I'm saying that they at least hit the five round mark now that you've set this up. In the end, though, man, um, Ooh, I'm putting my a money point. on the preacher. I want the preacher to win why does that? he get what his do cane want? does he get his blind cane that's what well, i'm gonna have
0: to, gonna have to give him the cane i think Okay, it's a street fight blind, yeah
1: yeah i'm going with the fucking blind preacher
0: all right baron
2: yeah it's a street fight so all foreign objects allowed absolutely yeah even as set in the encampment itself it's not even in a ring this is out of the stadium yeah
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: both good points. Both good uh, setups for pros. They have their the abilities for both that they both bring to the fight. Uh, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a, bit, a little bit of tampering as well because I want to see the preacher advance into further rounds and further up the uh, up the, the tournament and into future brackets. Tampering, give it, okay. Hampton, I'm going to give it to the preacher as well because we don't have a blind preacher <laughs> in the league yet. Um, oh, and also, I see
0: what you're doing. I yeah, see what yeah. you're doing. You're 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 voting for you. Oh, okay, you're hedging bets for the future. I see. I don't know if but, I'm having that, but I mean to I'll justify
2: it. it. To justify it, though, he threw Nada slash Roddy Roddy Piper out of the church, and to do that, blind. Whoo, Mm-hmm. You've got to, you can pretty much take on anything as far as I'm
0: concerned. Yeah, I, yeah it's hard to argue with. I yeah. honestly, what you, um, the, and I, yeah. What do you reckon? I'm not Please. being contrarian here, but I had to think about this as well, um and I did some more thinking while we were doing this. Yeah, I kind of want to hand it to the preacher, but at the end of the day, I'm giving it to Gilbert. A, old man's strength. B, he can fucking see. And on top of that, <laughs> your man. Your man um, (laughs) is younger, markedly younger. Um, Yeah, he's got at least like 10 years on him for sure. Right. He's in that space where he's at peak of, I've got the ultimate old man strength. I've got the hardest fists I'm ever going to have before they just start to deteriorate. And I'm Mm -hmm. as quick as I'm going to be before my back starts hurting. And Mm -hmm. your man, the preacher, is not doing great. But he can swing that fucking cane. Here's the thing. I think Gilbert gets the cane away from him eventually. And if that happens, I think it's over. I think Gilbert throws a couple into his chin, ding, 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 right cross, fucking uppercut, tip of the jaw, and it's over for this fucking priest. It's over if he gets his cane from him. And I think that that is more than a little possible. I think it's a matter of when, not if, that he gets that cane from him. So I'm giving it to Gilbert. But the eyes have it, and the fucking blind preacher moves on to the next round.
2: Yes, I, w- I want to see the preacher versus the sheet. Remember the <laughs> sheet? <laughs> what movie was <laughs> 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 for that? Oh something weird. God. Yes,
0: that was yeah. from something. Yeah, that was so.
2: The blind weird. preacher yeah. versus the sheet.
0: <laughs> I still, if, every time I think about the fact that the sheet won that round. <laughs> God, We've got we a cat.
2: <laughs> don't we have, don't we have right. a dog in there as well? at a point from a murder party.
0: Y- yes, I think yes, you're right. Hound, I think the name is. <laughs> <laughs> I need to compile all this a little better. Yeah. I think we're coming up on we're good. We gotta talk about this off air, but we're coming up on doing another bracket and breaking this down for an episode. Um we'll yeah, talk about when and how we're gonna do that. It's gonna be Halloween ish I think. That's what I was saying. That's what I thought yeah. we were gonna do Halloween, so um, we'll okay. talk about that off air. Uh, anyhow, okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to start because there's I, I'm, I'm rating this up, but it's a 10 out of 10. It's a 10 Whoa. out of 10. Yeah, okay. 100%. This movie is, okay. on a personal level, important to me. I think culturally this this is important. Sure. I think that the level of influence that has come out of this movie that most most people do not have any understanding of can't be overstated um not just fucking shepherd fairy but the goddamn matrix movies and any number of dystopian films that have come out since have Mm -hmm. borrowed or outright stolen large chunks of this movie um and also this became something of a documentary as a matter of fact uh he uh carpenter referred to this as a sort of documentary um yeah just like 1984 came true but worse so did this on some level um oh, yes it, oh, it's it's yes. not just television it's always in your hands it's oh. always it's always connected to you it's worse than this movie lead, let's lead you to believe it's worse than Orwell puts out there um yeah, people, but... people, uh, this is kind of along the lines of people will give, you know, will give away some amount of privacy for some amount of safety. That's the balance. The dystopian and utopian balance yeah. is safety versus um privacy. Where do you strike the balance personally? And people don't even are are so wrapped up in giving away their privacy. They have no idea that it's made them less safe in doing so. It's so much worse than either one of these two predicted it could have been. And the Simpsons don't even have it on this motherfucker. They don't. Um, So, yeah, 10 out of 10. This is uber fucking important. This is something, this movie should be shown in schools. I'm not kidding on any fucking level. Should be shown in English class. It should be shown in film appreciation class. Um, that's it. I'm done. Oh, um, this is th- this is a uh, this is cocaine on mushrooms. That's what this is. This is next level. I'm ready to go, but I'm not sure what I'm looking at. But we can't stop moving. That's what this is. Um. I think the Baron might need time to think. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna chuck this to yeah. the Reverend.
1: All right, ma'am. Well then, I, uh, I'm gonna go with a nine out of ten on this. You know, I'm going to almost as high as I've gone. I think that's the highest thing that I've done so far. Uh, it's hard for me to think of what a ten out of ten could be. I think there's only a couple of things above this, but nine out of ten. This film is fucking brilliant. So influential to everything, and yeah, it's um. There's just not much that could go above this. It, it's directed well, and that campy thing that you you've talked about, Baron. It, it's it's important to American audiences for this to be fucking campy. There has to be some fucking weird levity because that's the way Americans are. We still fucking will make a joke on our deathbed because it is a fucking joke that there are literally homeless people all over Los Angeles, and like we are literally being lied to but that those campy traits that are in it needed to be there because this movie is so fucking heavy and it would not, it wouldn't be true to what Carpenter does for it to be so heavy because then it's not realistic anymore, you know? Hmm. So uh, yeah, nine out of 10.
0: Yeah. The camp, the camp is a, is a, is the spoonful of sugar. That that von Trier yeah, no. knows nothing of. Von, no, no, von I guess Trier, you. Von Trier is 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 fucking Chekhov compared to fucking <laughs> you know, just bitterness and, and misery. <laughs> now that makes and, perfect uh, sense
2: in terms of just justification. That's that's perfection. Thank you. Yeah, that makes that's things are going off in my brain. Yeah, thank you.
0: Um,
1: if I got to compare compare it to something, I'm going to say a full frontal lobotomy. Um, ooh, like th- this is as close to full-blown AIDS as you being gone like this is as close as you can get to fucking full-on just being dead to attend. 10 so this is yeah this is a full frontal lobotomy because your brain ain't gonna ever be the same after you fucking watch this shit open your eyes
0: motherfuckers all right Baron I'm dying I'm dying Champ- champing at the bit to find out what you gotta say about it.
2: Gentlemen, you just cut two fantastic promos regarding the importance of this film and why you rate it so highly. Both are very influential in my rating there because it's gone up, it's gone up. Well, it's gonna be a seven, but I'm taking it up to an eight, absolutely. Yes.
0: I was gonna be yes. upset, was less than an eight and we were gonna to have to have some talks.
2: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, First of all, security versus privacy, I've discussed that before, and I've wanted people to discuss that before, and they haven't been able to broach it because they didn't really get it, but you get it, thank you, Uh, because I find it's a concern, absolutely, Uh, and you were talking about, this movie talks about television in terms of security and privacy, Um, and I was holding up my smartphone. The television has now become mobile. It is in your pockets. (laughs) It has become far worse than Carpenter envisioned. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah. So the term prescient prescient certainly comes into play Um, in terms of having that campy element in there, that spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down Uh, in terms of is uh, placing this for uh, the campiness within the movie for an American audience. It does have to be there for the message to come across. I get it now, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So based on everything that I said before, the good parts that I like about this movie, those two promos, those two little moments of real, realization slash epiphanies,
1: um,
2: I'm definitely bumping it up to a seven to an eight. And as you pointed out, I forget if it was this episode or the previous episode, uh, their commander. You like to watch a, uh, a film that we suggest once, hear us talk about it, then go back and watch it again. I'll certainly go back and watch it again because I think this will be a very different film second time round. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like? Uh, okay, I think it was Reverend said this is the American Clockwork Orange. You've opened my eyes. I don't know if it works, but I'm using it. You remember in Clockwork Orange when he was set there and the experiment with his eyelids being forced open. The yeah. Ludovico treatment. There you go. This is the Ludovico treatment. Thank you.
0: Well <laughs> done.
2: Yes. done. <laughs> this is the Ludovico treatment. There you go.
0: That's my favorite diagnosis that's Ever been on this show? (laughs) Fucking mark it down.
2: (laughs) And um, Commander is also you. um, I know this was an important one for you, a big one for you as well. Obviously, giving it a ten. Cultural importance, I think, is what we're realizing doing this pod is huge for films and people's appreciation for films. That's why I gave Not Quite Hollywood a ten out of ten as well because that documentary showed the influence of exploitation on American culture and, uh, sorry, Australian culture and cinema. So I get it, why you gave it a 10. And you uh, you treated this film, you presented this film really, really well. You you handled They Live very well for this episode.
0: Thank you. I want people to understand, and I think you already know this, and I know you take a 10 very seriously. I do too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna just give everything a 10. And I know I tend to kind of err on, on the higher side. Um, whereas I think you two might err on the lower side from time to time. I tend to err on the higher side, but, um, this for it to be a 10, just to explain those parameters in my head, it has to be underappreciated. It has to be culturally important. It has to be transcendent. It has to still be important and it has to be important to me culturally and personally. And it checks all of those and it could check it over several times I yeah. I don't think I can overstate any of the things I just mentioned. I can't give this lower than a ten. I absolutely can't. There's no there's nothing that could make me go to a nine point nine, you know. So Fair I hand. just want everyone Fair to know hand. I'm deadly serious about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Reverend, all good if you
2: don't. Do you have a film for us for next episode?
1: Uh, I think I'm going with Willy's Wonderland. We're going to do some uh, Nicholas Cage here. Yeah. Okay. New. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm going with the new film. I I think it is is the newest thing. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Fantastic. I'm down. I'm upset. Let's check it out.
0: Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. I need to go to the store. I'm all out of bubblegum.